HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. For more information, visit meusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Today's episode number 117 of Feast Your Ears, and it's the first episode of my 10th season here on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, Thank you, studio audience. I think I've got the hang of this now, but if you're just tuning in for the first time, all of the previous episodes can be found in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm thankful for listeners like you, and I would love it if you would leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. Today's theme, koji. Is it a buzzword? Is it an alien entity? Is it magic dust? Koji keeps showing up in my life. As I've explored the world of fermentation over the last 10 years, I started hearing about this thing called koji. At first, it was like someone following you. I'd catch a glimpse of it, or hear that it had something to do with making soy sauce, miso, sake, shochu. But what was it? I got a package of koji, and it looked like rice that was dried and had a white powdery stuff on it. Was this koji? Was the rice the koji? I bought shio koji on a trip to Japan. It's one of the most delicious things on the planet if you haven't had it. Was that koji? As the glimpses became more frequent, and I heard about people doing other things with it beyond the traditional eastern ferments, it was still kind of murky. Part of this is because the word koji has been interchanged for the fungus itself, as well as the fungus grown on a substrate like rice or barley. In episode 39 of Feast Your Ears, I talked with Jeremy Umansky. His TED talk called Adventure Time in the Koji Kingdom has over 10,000 views. I highly recommend checking it out. He's using koji on meat, fish, In his restaurant Larder in Cleveland, it's likely one of the few places you can truly explore a menu literally covered with koji. From his breads to pastrami and more, he's using it to do all kinds of things. Aspergillus orzai was first domesticated more than 2,000 years ago in China and truly is an amazing tool for the food obsessed. It both converts starch into sugar, which is necessary for alcohol fermentation, 
as well as breaking down proteins into amino acids. While this may not sound like a big deal for one little microbe, it really is. It makes things delicious, it produces umami, it makes the nutrients easier to digest, and it helps preserve the things it ferments by making it harder for other microbes to get a foothold. It is truly amazing. As I got further down the koji hole, I discovered that there are three main varieties, white, yellow, and black, and I started to experiment with it, learning how to grow it on barley and rice, and making some homemade sake, miso, hishios with great results. My guests today are Rich Shi of Boston and Sean Doherty of Brunswick, Maine, who are both avid fermenters and chefs and are part of an all-star team that's coming to New York this weekend to serve an entire meal based around koji and what it can do for us and to our food. Thanks, guys, for making the time today to come on Feast Your Ears. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So, uh, Rich, you are uh, our cook quest on Instagram if people want to check out what Rich is doing. Uh, And, Sean, you are NAES, which is your name backwards, right? NAES 2012. Um, I definitely, I want to, the reason I'm starting with the Instagram thing is I wanted to find out, is that how you guys met? Did you guys first connect over Instagram? Um, We we actually first connected uh, through Twitter. Um, when we were both sharing um, culinary ideas, you know, it was a matter of just giving um, some ideas out there, and Sean had some stuff to say about it. And eventually, we just decided to meet, and uh, he was awesome enough to welcome me into this kitchen and share ideas and playing around with different flavors and combinations. Um, awesome. So, I mean, yeah, so social media is how you guys came together. Um, I, you know, I, I bring that up because in, you know, Koji is one of those things that I, it seems like historically, uh, you know, when it became domesticated, it was something that stayed in the East for a very long time and there was not a lot of information in the West, but now that there is this ability to connect through social media with people in other cities, other States, other countries, I feel like it is, it is really blossomed. Um, Sean, would you say that that, you know, that that's true? Absolutely. Um, that's a great, great way to put it. <laughs> so, you know, since you guys were able to connect over social media and you didn't know each other beforehand as, as chefs, um, and, you know, there's this hashtag that I've seen show up in both of your feeds, among others, and it's hashtag Koji Builds Community. Um, I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about, like, what does that mean to you and, and how has this kind of online community allowed you to expand the work that you do? So um, I, I guess I'll start... Um, so in terms of Koji Build community, I was the person who put the hashtag together. Oh, nice. Uh, it was based on uh, wanting to share the ideas that um, I was working on with Koji when I landed in L.A. to meet with a bunch of friends that I just decided that I would hang, hang out with them and show them how to make Koji and show them the versatility and how easy it was to set up a neat, set up a simple incubator. Um, so it started there, and then I just started posting everything and anything I was working on and with Koji, and it kind of opened the doors to other folks to share these similar, similar ideas or current developments and just a lot of live things that are going on and has blossomed into something much bigger a place where people can just show their ideas no matter what level you're at and understand a little bit more and see what the folks who are more advanced are doing. 
What about you, Sean? How, how, have, how have you used or, or found the hashtag? Uh, you know, how, how has it worked for you? So I basically, you know, I had seen a lot of uh, Rich's posts and using the hashtag and, and kind of, I don't want to say made it my own, but just felt like what I was doing, I also wanted to share to the same community. And so it was kind of a no-brainer. Um, and instead of constantly, um, you know, giving Rich a shout-out uh, with the uh, Quick Quest, I figured, you know, the reason he was doing it is because it was bigger than he was. Right. And I kind of agreed on that, on that precept. So I was like, I'm going to use this hashtag for the same reason that he is, basically, even though... He and I had never really talked that over. I, I, I figured it was uh, an open dialogue at that point. Sure, sure. I mean, and that's definitely how it feels. I mean, as someone who is really, I mean, I've only dipped my toes in it. I mean, you both have done a lot more with Koji um, and I think have a much better handle on ways to use it, um, sort of outside the realm of, of tradition. Um, but definitely as someone looking at that from the outside, I like going to it and once in a while clicking on it because it really does open up this whole world of seeing all this stuff that people are working on. I mean, it's really, it's really incredible. Um, Sean, sure. you, you're a, I mean, you are a chef, um, and also a baker. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, I mean, Koji traditionally, um, you know, in things like sake making, uh, rice vinegar making, you know convert starch into sugar and then the sugar is converted into alcohol and then ultimately for making vinegar converted into vinegar um how do you use it in baking uh the first way i used it in baking um was i made uh an anazake and used that as a mix-in basically to flavor the bread um i wasn't quite sure how to use it as a starter Mm. on its own uh and i've experimented with that but haven't had a lot of success okay um so more is a mix in and also i've added it to an, an already existing sourdough starter Sure. I mean, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, amazake is sort of like a, a proto uh, or like a pre-sake where the koji is converted the starch in a rice into into sugar before a yeast ferments that sugar into alcohol. And one of the things that, that I, you know, that's actually one of the first ways I started using uh, koji. And it was amazing to me to have suddenly have access to this sweetener that wasn't based in cane sugar and wasn't based in honey. Um, and wasn't based in maple syrup, but you could just take something as literally plain as white rice, and then by incubating it with koji, you suddenly have sugar available to you. Um, so, Rich, um, you know, can you tell me a little bit about um, sort of your experimentation with koji? I mean, did you start out with making the kind of traditional Eastern stuff, or did you get right into trying to use it for, um, I guess, alternative ingredients or combinations people might not have done in the past? So the way that I started working with Koji was to understand the basic concept of um, being able to utilize the enzymes. And I think one of the first things I noticed was uh, there were, you know, base constituents of soybeans 
that I wanted to understand to <clears throat> be able to build something completely different. And I basically started serving other ingredients with a similar, nutri as simple as basic nutritional fact loading uh, between protein starches and fats. And, you know, lo and behold, when I started looking at some things, ricotta cheese, uh, ricotta cheese's components in terms of nutrition are very similar. Um, to soybeans. Entirely the same as <laughs> koji, but I felt that by understanding the fact that it had these things such that the enzymatic conversion could happen with the starches into sugars and the proteins into uh, amino acids, I went ahead and mixed together what I call the ricotta miso cheese. And I found that, you know, basically allowing to do its thing at room temperature through autolysis as well as um, fermentation, uh, I was able to create this um, somewhat aged flavor in a cheese that uh, occurred in a very short period of time that um, can only happen <laughs> naturally um, over the course of a year if you're talking about, you know, something on the order of Parmesan. Right. So that was one of the first things I tinkered with. Uh, there's there's often um, a story I tell about um, meeting up with a chef friend of mine and deciding to make miso, and he wanted to make uh, traditional soybean miso. And I told him that I had never made soybean miso before. And since then, I haven't really. The only other thing that I made was uh, smoked malted barley and soy nut meat, uh, soy sauce. Hmm. So in terms of traditional, I understand yeah. the the basics because I've read the book of Miso. Sure. Outside of that, I like to just use what's available and what I think will be interesting and work well. Right. Which, I mean, you know, which I think, you know, I've, I've always found that fascinating, um, about, you know, about the work that, that you're doing and, and honestly about the work that you're both doing, because, you know, I think when people start to get into it, I mean, I certainly approached it from a standpoint of I'm going to make Miso myself, but, you know, at a certain point, it's like, well, I can get really good miso, so why do I need to make more of it unless I'm growing soybeans, right? I need to do something with them, um, right. you know, but in the but in the sense of trying to experiment with it, you really, there are so many doors that open up when you start to use it for, for other things. Um, you know, what, uh, Sean, what is, what's your favorite thing that you've ever made with miso? With miso or with koji? I mean, I'm sorry, with koji. <laughs> That's what I meant to ask. Uh, I would say, well, for, for right now, the corn, the corn amazake is really, really doing it for me. Um, it's it's super active uh, to the point where I'm a little afraid of it. Uh, <laughs> and I, I think it's because, you know, corn is such a complex vegetable to begin with. Sure. You know, all the different sugars... Um, and starch, you know, carbohydrates going on. So I think it's like giving Koji crack. And just <laughs> <laughs> watching from the sidelines, it's, um, but, you know, aside, all kidding aside, the, the flavor is amazing. Um, can you tell me the, the... Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask, can you tell me the process for the corn amazake? So I have corn uh, just shaped off the cob, unprocessed, uh, and then so I have equal parts uh, fresh raw corn, 
and then equal parts koji rice and then water so mix those three together and then incubate it uh, for 12 hours at about 140 degrees and then there's your that's your corn amakoji sure and then you can add water from there right and um, and then I wonder, I mean, so then where my brain goes as someone who, who, you know, has done a lot of alcohol ferments is, well, then can you take that to the next stage and let that, you know, ferment that because you've got all these, you know, you already have the sugar in the corn and then the starch is being converted by the koji. Can you then ferment that with yeast? And then what would happen if you distilled that? So you sort of have like a, a corn whiskey, corn amazake whiskey. Yeah, that would happen yeah. rather quick. Yeah, for uh, sure. Now you've got me thinking. Yeah. I think that I may have to. I may have to work. I may have to work them. Work on that. I got to go get. You were still. We're still in corn season here in the Northeast, so I exactly, feel like yeah. uh, I may have to. May have to try and work that one out. That sounds. That sounds really delicious. I'm going to definitely give that. Give that a go. Um, we're uh, awesome. we're going to take a short break and uh, hear from one of our sponsors here at Heritage Radio. And when we come back, I want to talk about the dinner uh, that you guys are cooking with uh, some other really great chefs coming up on Saturday, September fifteenth. Awesome. Awesome. I was born with a already on my Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese. Specialty cheese from Switzerland, made with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best-tasting cheese from Switzerland. Emmy is best known for importing more than 80% of the Swiss Gruyere into the United States, but that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Kaltbach Cave Age cheeses, Der Scharfe Max, Appenzeller, Tete de Moin, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about Koji. I have Rich Shi from Boston on the line, as well as Sean Doherty from Maine. And uh, before the break, we were talking about Koji. We were talking about corn amazake. I think uh, if you were listening, I'm going to test out. I'm going to try. I'm going to do it. I'm going to try to make. I'm going to say it here, so I have to do it. I'm going to try to make a corn amazake whiskey. Um, and bust out awesome. my my old uh, my old still. I haven't distilled anything in quite a while. Yes. Uh, but don't That's tell don't cool. tell the government. Don't tell them I'm doing it. So, <laughs> uh, so I wanted to talk about so coming up this Saturday, September fifteenth, uh, at eight o'clock, I believe. Is that right? I have that time correct? Uh, Seven o'clock at the Beard House. Um, you guys are involved with a number of other great chefs in a dinner that's being called Quest for Koji. Um, I love the name. I don't know if you guys named it or if they named it at the Beard House. Um, it makes me think of the 1981 film Quest for Fire, 
Um, I don't know if you guys have seen that, but in 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 it, uh, some Cro-Magnon men uh, need to sort of go on this quest because they lose, they their fire goes out, and they need fire, and they don't know how to make fire, so they go to find it. And I feel like there's these interesting parallels on like the the idea of a quest for Koji. Um, we need to like maintain Koji and like and then share it right with everybody, so we can all continue to live. It's very similar, I think. Um, yeah, for sure. So the other chefs that are involved, uh, Irene mm-hmm. Lee from May May in Boston, uh, Mike Betts, uh, also from Boston, John Hutt, who uh, is from the Museum of Food and Drink right here in Brooklyn, uh, Nico Moratore from uh, Commonwealth in Cambridge, and uh, Anna Markow from ESCA. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about how this event came together? Um, I mean, it really, it's a, it's an incredible lineup and you guys are all kind of collaborating. Did you all know each other beforehand? Kind of how, how did it get put together? Um, so actually my friend Irene, um, reached out to me. It was interesting. I was out for, um, a birthday dinner and she happened to be at the same restaurant and she tapped me on the shoulder and just asked me, um, to come by her table to talk about something. And one of the most interesting things was she started off by telling my daughter that, um, I was famous (laughs) and that, um, people all around the world were doing things based on how um, what I was doing to inspire them. And she just kind of shrugged her shoulders and shook her head. So I thought that was funny. But anyways, um, uh, Irene knows uh, the folks who run the Beard House and have a good relationship with them. And she felt that um, being able to highlight all the versatility of Koji and bring folks together to make a dinner of this um, – of this magnitude was an interesting concept that she proposed to me. And she said that, you know, get a bunch of chefs together who have been working with Koji and let's put on a nice dinner to be able to highlight um, all of the versatility and depth and breadth of what the possibilities are. So I went ahead and uh, linked with all the folks that I've been exchanging ideas with for years and, um, ask them if they would be willing to come along for the ride and show showcase what it is that they know about Koji and, um, you know, make it, you know, to the level that's approachable so people understand it, but um, be able to create something completely new, but um, in the same ilk, um, delicious, without the even without the context of Koji, if you did not... Um, understand it you can still come in and understand that the food is interesting in a very different way than uh if it did not have koji to um kind of do a play on the flavors there's just a level of complexity and and depth and um nuance that is um that to me is 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 a fun thing and a wonderful thing that should be accessible to anyone and it has been accessible to you know, a lot of the um, the cultures um, further away from us that that have it as a main staple, and I think that's part of this whole Koji revolution is to to make it a main staple because it does make food more more delicious, and it doesn't necessarily have to be blowout, you know, umami, but right. you know, just a little nuance of flavor that makes you. Um, want to have some more and also make, you know, um, all the food components more nutritionally available is a wonderful thing. 
Yeah, awesome. Um, Sean, am I right in guessing that you have something to do with the dinner course uh, item on the menu that is Louisiana dirty rice and beans with Maine soy sauce, koji foie gras, and duck katsuboshi? Yes, that would be me. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I saw the beginning, I believe, of the koji foie gras on your Instagram feed. Um, can you talk a little bit about like that dish and, and what, what is Maine soy sauce and what is koji? I mean, what is koji foie gras? What are you doing with the foie gras? Um, so it's, it's foie gras that I cured, uh, with, uh, sorghum macchioli, uh, which is a, a country version. It's a Korean country version of, uh, Amazake, mm. so it's like a, a country sake, right? Uh, an alcohol ferment uh, using koji, uh, and the the grain that I used was sorghum. I had some sorghum given to me as a gift. Uh, made sorghum, uh, amazake, macchioli, strained it, aged it, and then used that in the cure for the foie gras. Mm. So it's cured with a, a koji-powered alcohol nice. ferment. Yeah. And then what's what's main soy sauce? What makes it main specific? The uh, wheat berries are were grown in Maine. Cool. So I inoculated those uh, with koji, uh, a soy-specific uh, spore, and so I'm, I'm actually making a shiro which is a, a white soy sauce. So that's that's the main, as in the state of Maine. <laughs> right. <laughs> soy. Awesome. I mean, yeah, the, the, menu, the menu is pretty epic. I'm not going to read the whole thing here. Um, but if you're interested in attending, um, go to jamesbeard.org slash events, and you'll find it for Saturday, September 15th. Um, it really, you know, I, I wish I could be there. Unfortunately, I'll be out of town um, for anyone who has not ever been to the James Beard house, um, it is, in fact, in James Beard's former house. It's where he lived uh, in Manhattan on 12th Street, and it's a really, really great place. I, I can't speak to how it is for a chef to cook in, but I assume it's a really fun place to go to. Uh, James Beard you know, did more for gourmet food in America, I think, than just about anybody else. Um, and really kind of, uh, you know, brought us out of our, like, dark days of, like, boring white bread and potatoes in this country. Um, have you, have either of you guys ever cooked there before? Um, I haven't. I haven't either. Cool. Um, well, definitely. It's been uh, Mecca for me. <laughs> basically, <laughs> you'll definitely need to check out. And for those of you who haven't been there, um, you know, uh, again, uh, one of my favorite details is that they, while they have converted it into an event space and, and, you know, into the, uh, you know, there's a commercial kitchen and, and they do these giant dinners. It is still, you know, has details from when James Beard actually lived there, including the mirror on the ceiling of where his bedroom was. <laughs> One of the tables is a big round table where he had his bed and there's a mirror on the ceiling above the table. Uh, he has a bathroom that is completely mirrors on the inside. Um, you know, for a man who was definitely not, uh, you know, was not, a, not ashamed of his, uh, his largesse, uh, and his body. Um, he also had an outdoor shower, um, in his backyard that is now in an enclosed greenhouse, but the shower itself is still there. Um, so the, it has some, some really great details and, and, uh, really great, uh, you know, there's great, great vibes, I guess you could say, uh, in there as well. 
Um, what, uh, you know, and, and as far as this, this grouping of chefs, um, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I know it's a small kitchen in there, um, but I'm sure you guys are all going to work together. Have you, have any of the, of the group actually cooked together before rich? I assume that, you know, I believe you've cooked, uh, at Commonwealth Cambridge before, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've, um, cooked at Commonwealth as well as, um, as, uh, May May and, uh, I've hung out at the Museum of Museum Food and Drink before. I mean, I've done a lot of stuff for their um, <clears throat> for their displays. So, cool. And what about you, yeah. Sean? I know you you and Rich obviously I know have cooked together before. Have you cooked with any of the other chefs? Uh, I cooked with Nico uh, for the barbecue the Koji barbecue event. Mm. Um, so he and I, you know, worked together, and then I met Nico before at one of. Uh, Rich's Koji Workshops last year. Awesome. Um, so I want to know, you know, do you guys have any recommendations? So, you know, I mean, I mentioned it a little bit in the, in the opener, um, that, you know, they're, they're definitely, when I was getting interested in Koji and starting to research, there is, you know, there was some confusion about like when you go and you buy rice that's already inoculated, it's sold as Koji. You can also buy the actual spores, which are also sold as Koji. Um, you know, could, could one or both of you just speak a little bit to people who might be novice who are interested in learning about Koji and getting into it about like, what do you need kind of to get started? Um, and what is the best way to start using Koji? I mean, for me, one of the earliest things I did was I bought some already inoculated rice, uh, that was, you know, dried rice that had been inoculated with Koji and I made Shio Koji, which, you know, you mix it with salt and water and you let that ferment. And then that becomes this incredible flavoring agent and marinade that you can use on all kinds of things. But, you know, how would you recommend people get started, especially if they want to go all in and say, you know, get some grain that's local to them, like you did, Sean, with the main grown wheat and make something like a local soy sauce? What, you know, what do they need to, what do they need to do? Uh, so, so I think, uh, you know, for the most basic thing, as you've described, to make Shio Koji is, is the best way to get started. So, you know, equal parts of Koji and water plus 5% salt, and you just let it sit on your counter for five, three to five days. If you don't necessarily want to wait, you can just blend it and use it right away. So that's an awesome marinade for, you know, fillets of fish or, you know, chops or a steak that you just have it marinate overnight and it's it's done right away. Um, in terms of getting started with making koji, so the I guess the, the fine line of the definition of koji is that koji itself is the inoculated grain, whatever grain or, I guess, legume is inoculated. And typically it is rice. But uh, in terms of Aspergillus orzai, the spores, um, the Japanese refer to that as koji kin. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, just usage um, due to the fact that people just understand it in a certain way or they just refer to it as the same thing. So mm. that's the line that's typically drawn in terms of the, um, <clears throat> the straight definitions. In terms of getting started making koji, um, we always recommend that people start with a rice, you know, a polished rice medium, whether it be the standard Japanese uh, medium, um, medium grain rice, or, you know, we use jasmine rice just because it, um, you know, it infiltrates much faster and uh, you just get to the, 
to get to the final product much faster. And uh, in terms of <clears throat> risk of, you know, any issues with contamination or sporulation, it's, it's you know, very, it's, it's really hard to mess up. So <laughs> on a first run with a very rudimentary incubation setup, you can get there very quickly. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it, it's something that I feel like it, it, people, you know, who aren't, people who aren't necessarily, um, you know, predisposed to, to fermenting these kinds of things. Um, I, you know, I agree. I mean, it is a, it is a pretty, like, once you get into doing it with other kinds of medium to start on, it get you know, it, it seems like it gets more complicated. Um, but I definitely like, I feel like it, it's not that hard. And I feel like the, the, what it opens up for you is, is enormous. Right. I mean, like once you're able right. to make it yourself and just make, you know, take steamed rice and grow Koji by inoculating it with the spores, then suddenly you have all these things. And, and I feel like they kind of, you know, they start to take over your life. I assume you guys are, you know, are like me. I mean, my, you know, and I know you are actually, you know, my kitchen is full of all these ferments, like everywhere I turn, uh, you know, there's another thing fermenting. So I'm sure you guys are overwhelmed by them a little bit too. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. So much so that my wife like hates it when it's summertime. <laughs> <laughs> too, too many things bubbling away yeah it's just a combination of smells <laughs> i think it smells great but she doesn't <laughs> yeah well i mean i you know i have to uh you know i have to thank you sean uh i today on my salad that i had for lunch i used uh some of your uh some of your vinegar that you gifted to me um when i Excellent. saw you over the summer so definitely uh you know thank you thank you for that it's going to go into good use um, well, we're just about out of time. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything else uh, that I forgot to mention about the uh, about the dinner at the Beard House, but that's, you know, to remind people that's coming up this Saturday, uh, September 15th at 7 o'clock. Go to jamesbeard.org slash events. Um, I want to make sure that I wish you a happy birthday, Sean. Uh, it is your birthday today, as I'm, I, I believe. It is. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what a great birthday present that you get to, uh, you know, that you get to to go to the beard house and, and cook and be on air with us. Very excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah. Uh, thank you guys so much, uh, for, for taking time out of your, out of your preparations for the, for the beard house dinner. And, uh, I hope to hope to catch up with both of you soon. Again, you can check out, uh, you can find Sean online, uh, N A E S 2012. Uh, and that's on Instagram and Twitter as well, I believe. And you can find Rich at Our Cook Quest. Um, also, you can look at ourcookquest.com. Um, you know, between cooking and experimenting and posting to social media, um, somehow and having and having a kid, Rich finds time to write a whole bunch of amazing stuff and also teaches classes in Koji and other fermentation. So check out his website. It's a, you know, it's an incredible wealth of information about all the stuff that we were just talking about. Yeah. And all the Koji stuff is on the recent work uh, tab. Great. So if folks want to get the details on, you know, just making miso in general or just starting to make their own Koji, it's all there. And, you know, and I would recommend if you, you know, if you're going to start doing this stuff, uh, definitely use the hashtag. Uh, hashtag oh, Ko sure. Koji builds community. Um, you know, it will allow you to connect with lots of other people who are who are working with the with Koji, and you know, to then also yeah. you know get tips and tricks and share your experiences. As I start to work on this uh, this corn Amazaki whiskey project, I'll uh, I'll definitely post it up there with that hashtag as well. Awesome. 
Well, thank you. Everybody. Thank you, Harry. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Feast Your Ears today. Uh, you can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org, on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please take a moment to like the show if you did, in fact, enjoy it today. And you can reach me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com. You can find me on Instagram at thefoodballer. Talk to you next week. for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.